You're going to lose. You're going to have to lose. You have to learn how to die if you're going to be alive. Well, that's what Wilco sang in War on War. And I am here to tell you that uh, for the most part, whether they know it or not, they are exactly right. Uh, even according to the law, to, set up all, to settle up all the debts that you have with the law, all you have to do is die. And that is exactly what we want to discuss this morning in this text, is your death. Uh, the fact of it, the need of it, and oddly, uh, the blessing of it. And so let's see this morning, in brief, at least beginning, uh, what the law cannot do. What the law cannot do. Paul, continuing in his argument from last week concerning Peter's actions, where Peter at one moment was eating with Gentiles and okay with having fellowship with Gentiles and then removed himself from that table fellowship in order to please those Judaizers who said, you need to keep obeying the laws of Moses. Paul, looking at that scenario, continues with his argument. And he says, look... Peter and I were both Jews from birth. We were under the law from birth. We practiced the law the entirety of our lives. And for some reason, both Peter and I found it necessary to be justified by faith in Christ. So though we were Jews, and Paul you know, is not making comparisons now. Uh, Paul was a very, very uh, uh, um, serious Jew, as far as his practice was concerned, he says, we still felt that we had to be justified by faith, and therefore, that communicates all kinds of things. It says something about the law. It says something about us, about Peter and about Paul. It says something about our conclusion, about our death. Paul begins by acknowledging what appeared to be their privileged position. They were Jews by birth. They were the people of God. To them had been given the law and the covenants, the very oracles of God. A great privilege when you look around the whole world, there was one people chosen to be God's recipients of these blessings. But, of course, it's a privilege that comes with a problem. And Paul phrases the problem this way, by the works of the law... No flesh will be justified. What is being referred to here by the word justification, as we've spoken of before, is that legal term that speaks to what someone is considered or what someone is declared or reckoned in a legal setting. So, you know, if there's a court case going down and the judge issues his verdict, guilty, not guilty, condemned, or vindicated, that positive reckoning, vindicated, is what the word justification is referring to. Someone has been declared right in the eyes of the legal system. And Paul says, we found out that no flesh is justified, is declared righteous, on the basis of doing the works of the law. Paul, in saying this, is alluding to Psalm 143 when he says, No flesh will be declared innocent in God's courtroom by the works of the law. A psalm that is of David, where David's fleeing from his enemies. He already knows that, you know, he has a few uh, skeletons in his closet. Uh, and yet the enemy is closing in and he calls to God for help. And he has a few decisions to make here. God, help me because of my righteousness. You owe it to me. 
Or God, help me because you act a different way and you show mercy even to those who aren't righteous. And here are uh, uh, David's words. He says, do not come and enter into judgment. So he's calling on God, come and help. And he says, but when you come, don't come and enter into judgment because no one living before you is righteous. So he's saying, come judge my enemies, but don't just enter into blanket judgment because what would that mean? He says, you'd have to judge me too. And so David declares the king of Israel, you know, arguably uh, the most beloved and honored king of Israel, one who has the law, one who's God's favored son, says, don't come and judge me on the basis of my righteousness because no one stands before you on that basis. And Paul says, that's the verse I want to use to talk about why it's so important that we make this distinction between one being justified by faith in Christ or justified by works of the law. He says, even David, this famous Israelite under the law, when calling on God for help, does not say, come help me based on how faithful I've been. And the reason is no one, he says, is faithful enough. No flesh is righteous in your sight. Which Paul says, you see what he said there? No flesh, meaning Jew or Gentile, will be vindicated in God's courtroom based on that identity or based on their doing of the law. It doesn't matter. There's this no separation between Jew or Gentile on this issue. Well, what does he mean? By the doing of the law. What, what does the law want? What does it require? What does it promise? Well, the law wants obedience to the commands that are within it. Even as we read in Leviticus this morning. The, the moral commands, the ceremonial commands, everything from front to back, the law says you will do all that's required in it, and the one who does it will live by it. The law says very clearly also... Cursed is anyone who does not continue to do all that is written within the book of the law to do it. So all the law wants is your personal obedience. You need to do it, not, you know, other people. Uh, And it needs to be perfect. You need to obey all of it. And you need to do it all the time. It needs to be perpetual. And it says if you do that, then you will live, and if you don't do that, you will remain, or, or you, will, you will be cursed. So, you want obedience by you to all of it, all the time, uh, and if you do it, then great, you, you've done wonderful, and then the law says, and I'll see you first thing tomorrow, and we can do it all over again. You know, if someone was to place you in front of the Pacific Ocean and say, swim. I mean, there would be a few questions, but one of the questions I would want to ask is, uh, how far? Where where are we swimming to? And if the person responded, until it ends, then I would have a few more questions, you know. Until the ocean ends, or just until it ends? Like, you know, until I'm all done swimming, and it all ends all at one time. Uh, And that's exactly what the voice of the law is saying. You know, it's saying uh, in repetition of kind of the Dead Poets Society, you know, just do, you got to do more, you've got to be more, uh, and what you will never hear the law say while living under it is enough. 
You're all done. There's no more. Paul says, as soon as you place yourself under the law, you are to do it, and you're just to do it again and again and again and again and continue in that sort of perfection. And Paul says, well, we know the Gentile sinners, they couldn't do it. I mean, Paul says, look, they were born Gentile sinners. They weren't even trying from the beginning. You know, they're out. But he says, that's not us. We weren't born like that. But we couldn't do it either. And he proves that by saying, not, look, you and I, Peter, we broke the law, but by saying, you and I sought justification by faith in Christ. Why would we do that if we thought we could be justified by doing the works of the law? Simply by turning from the law to Jesus, they were admitting very clearly, we can't live under this burden. It's just too much for us as individuals to bear, and we are failing under its weight And therefore, we will seek our righteousness elsewhere. If by faith, Paul says, not by works. If we confess by confessing Jesus as Lord, Paul is saying the same exact thing that David confessed, that no one living before Christ or before God is righteous in his sight. So Peter and Paul, coming to Jesus in faith, says, Very clearly to everyone watching, the law cannot justify. It can only expose what is. And even if what is is really, really, really good, it can only ask for more of the same forever. But by coming to faith in Jesus, they were saying, we can't find a righteousness according to the law. We've searched and searched, and we realize it's not to be found for us there, and so we will seek to find it in Christ instead. And so they're acknowledging, or or, or Paul is saying, Peter, you already acknowledged by coming to Jesus that all sinners, all Jews are just as guilty as all Gentiles, and there is not two ways to the kingdom, it's only one way. We are just as guilty as they are. Very similar to what the Czech Republic's first president, uh, once they, uh, you know, the Velvet Revolution took place, Václav Havel, writing of his own time under the Stalinist regime when he was uh, often found in prison because he was a, a dissident in the nation. Uh, he said, this is what I discovered under the Stalinist regime while I was dwelling in p- prison for fighting for the freedoms that I felt were due to my own people. He says, I learned the line between good and evil did not run clearly between them and us, but it ran through each person. No one was simply a victim. Everyone is, was in some measure co-responsible, and many people were on both sides. He said, you know, what I learned, even for fighting for what was right, was that I wasn't all right. <laughs> and even the worst person wasn't all that much worse than I was, that running through the middle of each human being was this reality that we are all evil, as well as having some, uh, you know, faint hints of nobility. And Paul says, by coming to faith in Jesus, we clearly admitted the law told us that we too were sinners as Jews. So what the law cannot do, we see, is justify. But then he says what the law can do in verses 17 to 19 And so imagine they've heard this argument from Paul. You know, Paul, are you saying that by coming to Jesus, you're calling all of us sinners 
and saying that means Jesus just accepts sin. By Jesus receiving all of us as sinners, does that now say that Christ is the one who approves of and motivates and kind of is on the team of sin? I mean, the kind of the thing that the law all our lives long has taught us to avoid sinful, dirty Gentiles now all of a sudden is acceptable? Does that make Christ an apostle of sin of some sort? Now all of a sudden, no kosher, no circumcision, no Moses. I mean, what was all of that for? But Paul says, if I do the law, I become a sinner. Which, what a strange argument. He basically says, no, no, no. It's not that Jesus is made a sinner or approves of sin. In fact, if I try to do the law, that's where everyone becomes a sinner. That's the problem. If I try to attempt, even now, like Peter is trying to attempt, to go back to these kosher rules, that's what's going to make us all sinners. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but he just told us, what the law requires. It doesn't say, well, just simply be circumcised and that's enough. Or, okay, be circumcised and eat kosher and that will be fine. It says, well, do those things. That's that's a good start. And then do it again tomorrow, along with everything else, all of the commandments of God, 613 some odd commandments in the Old Testament. And when you're done doing them, do it again and again and again and never fail until you reach the terminus. And Paul says, look, we already acknowledged by coming to Jesus that we couldn't do it. We failed. We're guilty. We are powerless. But if we, like Peter, say now that we've admitted all of that, let's go back and put the Gentiles under the same burden that we just said we couldn't bear, what do you think you're going to find when you rebuild the law? He says, you're going to find that same impossible wall that you tried to scale the first time standing in front of you, and guess what you will discover? I'm a sinner. He says, so to go back to that way of doing things, you're just going to put yourself in the same hole that you began with, the hole of sin that is impossible for you to overcome. In verse 18, he says, what will happen if you do that is you will become a transgressor. It will become the same old song. Paul says, no. I'm done. I'm done with that way of living. I'm done with that way of pursuing righteousness. Which seems strange. I mean, how can you just say, I'm finished with the law? As if it was like on a light switch. And you can just be like, well, I was doing that whole law thing yesterday, but now I'm done with the law. I've decided to pretend, you know, that it's not there. It's like the child closing their eyes to make you disappear. You know, is that what Paul's doing? He's like, you know, I'm just going to stand here, close my eyes and say, there's no more law that I have to obey whatsoever. He says, well, no, I mean, the reason I'm done with it is because the law killed me. So it has no more power over me. He says, if I were alive, the voice of the law would still be incessantly whispering to me, do more, keep going, be holy. And worse, the law would also be whispering because of our track record, you are not enough. You are not doing enough. And what you are and what you are doing is wrong. And you had better fix it somehow. I mean, have you ever heard that voice? (laughs) I mean, that's the voice that's constantly running through our brains day in and day out because we believe, unlike Paul, that we're still under the voice of the law. There's still something that must be done in order for us to find approval. 
And again, it doesn't always come uh, in the same, thus saith the Lord, that you may find in Leviticus, but it comes, you know, be thin, you know, be rich, be, be better at your job, get a promotion. All of those things that day in and day out are whispering to you and you're saying, you're not enough, is the same voice of the law saying, you're never going to measure up unless you change and fix and work and do. And until you do, just know that you're behind and you get more behind every day. And the sad part is we are addicted to it. We have this lifelong love affair with the law, thinking that somehow, even though day in and day out it has kicked us in the teeth while we're down, we think, today I'm going to do it. I am going to make a resolution that's going to stick. All those bad habits from last year are going to miraculously disappear. I will optimize. I will listen to four more podcasts. And I will do, you know, complete ownership. Uh, and I will also get up early and take, you know, a cold shower. Uh, and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with those things. <laughs> but if I do all of those things, then all of the problems that have been there in the past will suddenly disappear. And you do them. And guess what will happen when you wake up the next day? Even if you're successful one day, it'll say, do it again, but also be more. You are not enough. The problem with the law, of course, well, let's go. Paul said, you know, this risk to really bother me. It used to bother me that the voice of the law was always telling me where I was failing and what more I needed to do. He says, but the good part is then I died and all the noise stopped. It was completely silenced. And after the law, that, the law and I have a whole new relationship. We've been completely severed from each other. I don't listen to him anymore, and it's been wonderful. If you haven't seen uh, the, the Bones Brigade documentary, uh, a, a skating documentary on the old Powell Peralta team, it's a, it's a fabulous documentary, even if you hate skating. Um, one of the famous skaters in that documentary, probably most of you know Tony Hawk, he's in there, but Rodney Mullen was a freestyle skater from back in that time. Uh, and, you know, not the cool kind of street skating that we have now, but like, you know, doing a lot of 360s and then flipping your board around and walking on your board. Weird stuff that, uh, you know, you would probably look very loony if you were doing it uh, anywhere around here. Maybe Venice Beach, you could get away with it, but not around here. Um, but he was clearly the best ever. Uh, he was so talented that, in fact, from his childhood, I'm talking from about 11 years old on into his late teens, he had never lost a contest, never once placed second, and was never close to being defeated. And in his high school years, he began to develop uh, certain nervous habits, show signs of anxiety, until ultimately he had what we would probably call a nervous breakdown. His father, a Christian man, not fully understanding even the skating thing, much less what was going on because of it, said, that's it, you, you can't skate anymore. And it became quite a problem. There was quite a rebellion because of it. But he says, he came to me after seeing that it was killing me in two ways. The competition was killing me, but the not being able to skate was also killing me. He says, he came to me, and I was in the garage, you know, I th and he said these words, you know, I think I've been too hard on you. You can skate. Because I think you need that. But I think that in a sense what is wrong with you has to do with the pressure of contests so you cannot compete. And it's interesting. He says, as soon as I died to the contest and thus to the pressure of continuing to be the best. Now mind you, he had never not been close to being the best. 
And it was still too much for him to bear. He says, as soon as that pressure was relieved, he said the joy of the thing all came back and the anxiety that he'd experienced vanished because there was no more judgment hanging over his head and no need to perform. So how do you die to the law? And according to Paul, through the law. I mean, it seems like a tautology. I died to the law through the law. Well, Paul's saying the law stood over me, it condemned me, and then it executed me. And now that it's done all that it can do to me, there's nothing more to be done. It's got its pound of flesh, and thankfully it's moved on. And that is exactly what has happened to you as a Christian. And so our final point this morning, what the law did. Now, you may be wondering, because you probably feel pretty alive here today, you know, when, when did this happen? When did I die to the law? Paul here, you'll notice, is reading to us his obituary. You'll see that in verses uh, 20 in particular, 19 through 21. I have been crucified with Christ. But as he's doing so, you may be raising an eyebrow and saying, you know, Paul, no offense, but, you know... You're standing here right in front of us. Uh, You're speaking. You know, we see you. This whole thing is happening as he's speaking to the Galatians. And not only that, he says, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. And the very next thing he says is, the life I now live. It's like, well, which is it? Did you die? Are you living? Like, this seems like a very confused statement. Well, the oddity of the language teaches us plenty about the wonder of the gospel that Paul is expounding. A gospel that he says in verse 21 is all of grace, and if that gets changed, it's utterly turned over on its head. It is clear that whatever Paul is talking about isn't his actual physical experience. He wasn't crucified. He didn't die, much less die to the law. He hadn't died at all. But he sees on the cross that answer to this age-old dilemma, for there the law spoke its final word, on Christ. Cursed is the one who doesn't live by all that is written therein. And the curse, of course, is to die. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. And in that judicial setting, where Christ is standing before the powers that be, a sentence is handed down, a sentence of death, and he is executed in public through a court of law, by the death penalty. Until finally we hear the words, it is finished. And it is. I mean, the law is finished. It is finished because it's satisfied. It got everything it wanted. It did all that it came to do. The law has been eyeballing us for years, mouthing the words, you know, when I get you, you're a dead man. The law has wanted your blood for some time now, and not because it's malicious necessarily, but because it's meticulous. And on the cross, the law gave all it had against our sins. And it has nothing left to give. It is all done. It has said its peace because the verdict was delivered and the uh, sentence was executed fully in the person of Christ. The law says to you, you deserve to die, and the law did all that it was going to do in delivering that death but it did it in the very body of Christ on the cross. 
As one author writes, what the gospel does is to put an end to the voice of the law. And that means actually to put a stop to it, to shut it up, to make it no longer heard. The voice which for man as sinner never ends is stopped by God's action in Christ. The gospel is the story of him who shattered the grammar of the earth who broke open the circle, the closed circle of the voice of the law and gave us hope once for all. You see, Paul is saying, not just that the law is finished, you're finished. You died. The law is done speaking to you about anything at all. You have no more guilt at all to be dealt with. It is over. It is completed. It is finished. I mean, that probably isn't what it feels like. I mean, knowing most of you, it's not what it looks like. (laughs) But that is what it is. And that is why Paul says, it is only apprehended by faith. These things are absolutely true of you, but they are only apprehended by faith. You have died to the law because the law has no right to any longer speak to you words of condemnation. But it does speak to you words of condemnation. And you hear them every day, and you believe the voice time and time again as if it is speaking words of truth that actually identify you. And Paul says, that may be your experience by sight, but that's not the truth of you. You were crucified with Christ, and if you die with Christ, then you have died once for all to the condemning voice of the law. It has no further words to speak over your life that can harm you in any way, shape, or form. Your whole life is now found in Christ's life by faith. I mean, by sight, you look quite a bit like you did, (laughs) and you act quite a bit like you used to. And the habits that have hounded you for years still are there. And that same voice that for years truly had the right to condemn you is also still there. Playing the same tape in your head that you are guilty, you should be judged, you are not worthy, you are not enough. And Paul says it may sound very loud, but just so you know, the law doesn't even exist for you anymore. It puts you to death and it moved on. Because your life is now hidden with Christ in God by faith. And your experience by sight doesn't undo that. Because who you truly are in the eyes of God is seated at his right hand at this very moment. Holy and whole and vindicated before the whole of the watching world. And you are in him. He is your life. And everything else is just a waiting game until the death that has already occurred for you comes in real time. And the law is silenced once and for all, and you will see it. May we believe this this morning as we come to his table. Let us pray.